Welcome to Boston Children's Answers. I'm your host, Dr. Jennifer Arnold. As a mom and a doctor, I'm passionate about helping kids stay healthy and happy. So join me as I chat with other Boston Children's experts to find answers for you and your family. Hi, everyone, and welcome back. Today, we're going to talk about the importance of exercise for a healthy heart. Here's today's parent question. Hi, my name is Sandy. It's been hard to get my preteen to exercise ever since she stopped playing youth sports. How can I help her understand the benefits of exercise, not just for now, but for the rest of her life without adding too much pressure? Here to help us discuss this important topic is Dr. Naomi Gothier, Director of Boston Children's Cardiac Fitness Program. Hello, Dr. Gothier. Thank you so much. Nice to be here. Nice to be here with you as well. I sensed when we were chatting before, you have such passion for this topic. And I'm curious if you could help our audience understand how you got into this specialty. Sure. Well, a bit of a journey like many things in life. Pediatrics was clear to me from when I was little. But I actually didn't discover my full specialty, pediatric cardiology, until I started my training. And then it was just such an amazing intersection between the way the body works as well as the ability to watch children grow up. It's that growth and development that sparked my interest in pediatrics in the beginning. So that all kind of pulled together in pediatric cardiology, which is my background specialty. And then I actually came to exercise cardiology partway into my career, realizing that my driving passion is to watch children fully blossom. And in order to do that, they need to play and be active. And then I realized, two and two together, I need to be an expert in that. And so I dove deep. Wow. So exercise cardiology, it seems like a pretty unique specialty that not many have heard about. Can you tell me a little bit about the field as well? Well, I suppose I use that term a little loosely because it actually isn't a real field. It's a area of interest or expertise. There hasn't been much interest or development of it yet, but like many things, the tides are all rising together and there is now an international interest in exercise physiology, which means understanding how exercise and the body work together and patient care. This field we're now starting to call exercise medicine or exercise cardiology. So it's exciting. That is really exciting. Well, that's what I love about being here at Boston Children's. There's so much passion for making kids healthier. And you're just an example of that, of focusing on an area and a need and realizing that we need to have expertise and push this to keep kids healthy. So talking about that, can you share with me how important is exercise for our kids to be healthy? It's vital. Everybody knows exercise is good for your heart and you should eat healthy and all of those good things. But I don't think people really think beyond that. And it's something that I think about every day. Exercise is not just about making sure that your heart is healthy when you're older. Now, that's helpful and important. But exercise is really important for the here and now. Exercise for children is important for motor development, healthy bones, and socialization. But it's also really important for brain development, learning, academic success, focus, mood. People use it to treat anxiety and ADHD. And they're only now just on covering as if it's a scientific revelation. It's not just physical. It has so many benefits for the here and now. 
Absolutely. They've actually done some interesting research looking at what brain chemicals are released when you're exercising. And there's all sorts of body responses that happen. And one of them is there's these growth factors in the brain that promote all sorts of great healthy things for, like I said, mood and attention and learning. And there's some fascinating ways of looking at what exercise does that makes me want to make sure that no child is left behind in terms of access to an ability to move and exercise. So along those lines, knowing it's so important for our kids, and as a parent, I kind of want to know the answer to this question, how much exercise should kids and teens be getting to be healthy? benefit? Where, yeah. Where's that line? Yeah. The national guidelines say 60 minutes of moderate to vigorous activity a day, but... That makes it sound daunting. It does. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking, oh. Yeah, exactly. So first of all, that doesn't have to be 60 minutes in a row. Okay. So you can break it up and you can get credit for what you're doing. It's true actually for all of us if we're trying to improve our own physical activity and exercise habits to give ourselves credit for the things that do count. You take the stairs instead of the elevator. And some of the fitness trackers that people are wearing now are helpful. At the end of the day, you say, I think I got more steps I than I was expecting, or yeah. I got more exercise than I was expecting. <laughs> so giving yourself credit for some of those. Okay. So that's, that's first of all. Second of all, I think it's getting kids up and moving. It's anything other than sitting. Honestly, if we can't find 60 minutes throughout the entire day, then we have to really look at what are we doing in our daily that's lives. True. That if you get home from school at 2.30 and you have dinner at 6.30, in four hours, are you not getting up 10 minutes out of those for 40 minutes right there? If you break it down, it becomes much less daunting. And those are the edges that I want to soften. So think about it that way. One of the things that I really like to hammer home too is that if you're really not engaged in much activity because of the way your life is right now, you can get there in steps. You can do 10 minutes a day if you're doing zero. That's 10 more minutes. You can then move it to 15. You can move it to 20. So small wins micro wins sometimes, depending <laughs> yes. on the, on the <laughs> yes. exactly the age, so yes. motivation. So I think understanding that there's a nice guideline goal, but raising awareness, asking the question, is my child actually moving? And then recognizing, is it more or less than we are aware of? Awareness is the absolute first step, and that's a win. The next step is then to make some impacts on, oh gosh, you know what? Kind of not. Let's figure out how we can weave it into our day. I'm I'm super practical. (laughs) Yeah, you get it. (laughs) Yes, I get it. So it's figuring out those ways that you give credit for what's already happening and also incrementally work toward any goal. And build from there. And build from there. And it sounds like you said that even standing counts. Standing is important. It's not the same thing as physical activity. So you really have to be moving to consider to be physical activity. Okay. Exercise is a specific subset of physical activity. So I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to do a sport. I'm going to do a dance. They're very specific, structured. This is how I'm going to do it. I'm going to get stronger or I'm going to get better at this skill set. Where physical activities, I'm going to go play tag or I'm going to go for a a nice walk walk or whatever. All super important. You don't have to be a part of an organized activity or even go to a gym to get exercise. You can play tag with your kids and get to the point where your heart rate is elevated and you're breathing hard and fast and getting a little bit sweaty. (laughs) That counts as exercise, even though in the moment it seems more playful. It still counts as moderate to vigorous physical activity that leads you to that goal of being active. So then can you just remind us what types of exercise are important to look at versus physical activity? So if we're shooting for that goal of 60 60 minutes of physical activity a day, some of that is at a vigorous level, which means you're moving enough 
to feel like your heart rate's getting kind yep. of pumping, you're breathing a little hard and fast. If I was to have this conversation, I would kind of be like having yeah. difficulty getting the words out. So you're not able to have a full sentence. That is a level that we like to see people at as part of that moderate to vigorous physical activity at least three days a week, if not more. From a daily practical standpoint, I would just say get at that level. And I wouldn't worry too much about how you would categorize that. Bone strengthening, muscle strengthening, and aerobic strengthening, meaning that you're getting your heart pumping and breathing faster. Those are all the goals of being stronger. So that's things where you're walking, climbing. You're using some muscles to get your blood pumping. It could be low level where you could have this whole conversation. It could be high level where it would be hard to talk. And it's that range that we're talking about. And I think a little less important to say, was that actually exercise or does that count as physical activity? Yeah. So it's having that continuum. The continuum and getting some in the zone where you're really out there moving and you're not, as they say, dogging it. Yeah. That makes sense. (laughs) I'm attuned, right? So like you said, awareness is the first piece. Mm -hmm. And so looking at how much time are they getting that continuum of physical activity? What are some of the risks if we're not getting to that goal of just in general enough activity and exercise? There's a growing body of research looking into sedentary activities. And that's literally like sitting and not moving. Like Like what we're doing right now. Like what we're doing right now. (laughs) Sitting on the couch. Moving your thumbs doesn't count. Sorry. (laughs) Um, Exactly. (laughs) Joystick doesn't count. So if you are not engaging in exercise, you are not getting the benefits that we talked about. So the bone strengthening, the muscle strengthening, the getting your heart circulating, pumping the blood to your brain for your academic success, for your focus, for your mood, you're not gaining any of those benefits. And you are setting yourself up potentially for health concerns, maybe not in the short term, which is why a lot of kids unfortunately have a sedentary habit. But then they go to a birthday party or they go to gym class, and it may not be apparent yet because they have a lot of reserve. If they have a lot of reserve, you might not necessarily see that you've had a decline until you get to be older. The other risk is that oftentimes when you're not exercising, you are also engaging in other habits that aren't so healthy. You're not mindfully eating. You're snacking. Yeah. You're spending too much screen time, which has a lot of eye and brain effects. You're not necessarily engaging socially. So you're engaging in parallel habits that also have considerable risks in terms of your growth, development, and health. The downsides of that, that's really important. And I think as parents, we want to allow our kids to have those activities that they enjoy, which may not be very physical, but we want to make sure there's balance and that they're still seeing the value of things that get them away from the screens and get them active. And I find that pretty hard at times to encourage my kids to do that. So how can our parents who want to encourage their kids to do things in that exercise continuum, how can we encourage them to engage in those activities? I'm so glad you asked me that, to be honest, because it starts to make it feel like you're doing something bad if you're not exercising, as opposed to encouraging to do something that's enjoyable. And then when we say, oh, what you should do, anytime you start using that word should, it starts to feel like a chore, Mm -hmm. as opposed to saying, oh, what do you get to do? Which starts to feel like a bit of a gift and a bit of something like, oh, I get to go skiing or, you know, I should do my homework. Yeah. Right. Yep. 100%. You you get to go play tag with the dog outside or something. (laughs) Absolutely. Yes. The sun is shining. I get to go outside. Yes. So that's actually one of the first things is to identify when you're using that language of, I should go practice my dance routine, even if it's something that they enjoy. Yeah. And catching that and saying, 
you get to go practice. And just learning to say that is reframe can be really, really powerful. It's a really important mindfulness technique. So I think that's one thing parents can do is recognize in their own voice. As a matter of fact, I was thinking about this just the other day, how we focus on screen time and say you have to turn that off and you need to go get active, which makes it sound like you're punishing them and saying like, okay, (laughs) turn that thing off that you really love and go do this thing that you really don't want to do. So how do we balance that? So I think some of it is... And I'm guilty of that, by the way, as a parent. uh, Aren't we all? Aren't we all? Absolutely. So I think it's the same thing, being aware. And then you introduce something as, hey, you know what? You only have 10 more minutes left of your screen time. At the end of that 10 minutes, how about if we do this? Yep. As opposed to, it is your time to go do your chore. You need to exercise now. Yes. But instead, to reframe it, whether it's something you do together. So one thing is, is making it be about a social activity. So whether it's something that you do as a family, which is wonderful, Mm -hmm. or whether it's something that they get to do with friends, which especially depending on the age can be particularly powerful. There's a lot of ways that you can just reframe getting up and moving and being active. Yeah, I think that whole idea of being creative and reframing how we look at physical activity with our kids is so important. And I liked what you said about getting involved with your kids because I think that's really hard as a parent. We're so busy, but I've been trying to also be a little bit more mindful as a parent. And when I notice it's been from morning tonight and I haven't done anything with my kids, you realize I need to do something fun with my kids. Choose something that is active. And then you get the benefit of both the spending time that's so important and critical. And then also everyone gets a little bit of activity. Absolutely. And there's so many different ways to do that. You could be a family that likes to play tennis together, or you could be a family that just likes to do a goofy dance party or, yeah, or which can be done inside. Inside. Absolutely. Yeah. Or do play, a TikTok. play Twister. <laughs> yeah. Do a TikTok. Absolutely. So I think understanding even as the parent, how much it benefits yourself. Yes. Not just the activity, but the engagement with your child. And then the ability to let loose a little bit in a playful way can make such a difference in your day. Yeah, it's so important. My days are so much brighter when I go and see a patient and you're picking up the babies or you're playing with the kids and you just feel so refreshed. Yeah. And when you pair that with being physically active, it sends all that blood to your brain. It's a lot of feel good. It's a lot of good. It's a lot wow. of good. I love that. So you talked a little bit about the risks of kids not getting enough exercise today. Is that in fact actually happening to our kids? Are they not getting enough exercise to help them with their health today? Yes, that's true. The statistics are pretty clear. Less than a quarter of kids are actually meeting those guidelines that we talked about. And there's been a consistent drop through the years. There's also a decline as kids get older. So this is something that I actually worry a lot about. When kids are younger, they tend to play. And the way our society is organized now is all around organized activities. So you're either signing up for a sport or a community activity or you're going to karate. You're doing something that is at 3 o'clock on Tuesday as opposed to going outside and playing with the kids in the neighborhood or whatever. That just doesn't happen as much anymore. And so... If you're not involved in those, then there's often no alternative. And so as kids hit a certain age, the athletic ones start to become apparent. It becomes clear who has a natural inclination and tendency with that skill. And then there's all of us mortals who don't. Um, and <laughs> so, exactly. so for those, then what are their alternatives? So as they get a little bit older, you're not doing those activities anymore. And they don't get replaced with something else that's active. They get replaced with other things like video games or socialization in a different way, but it's not active. This is particularly true of girls. There's a pretty strong movement to try to help to engage girls to not drop out of sport or activity because there's even less opportunity for girls than there are for boys, um, although both are affected. And then when you add in a medical condition, 
then we get to an entirely different level. So for all of these reasons, as well as not everybody has safe outdoor green spaces or indoor spaces or cultural issues, there's certainly a lot of disparities between communities. Kids need the same access to being healthy and active, but they may not have it, and therefore they may not have the same access to the health benefits. Yeah, I think life is different now for kids, right? I don't see kids playing outside anymore. My kids don't really go outside much just to run around like I did as a kid, and they're losing out on that, and we have to figure out how to fill that gap if it's not there. Absolutely, and I think that awareness, oh, wait a minute, Yeah, you actually have to actively think about it and then find ways to influence how you can help your kids be healthy. Then you can start thinking, let's have an active birthday party, not a passive birthday party. We go somewhere where we're doing something active, or you organize a play date around something that has to do with movement or being active. Meet at Um, the park instead of- Meet at the park, Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, walk and talk as opposed to sit and talk. Yes, Um, especially as you get older. Like, mm -hmm. the park is no longer an option for my kids as much. So I'm trying to figure out what can we do that keeps you active. Exactly, exactly. It gets harder and harder. And I think there are also activities that people don't always think of. Like, there are hiking clubs and there's scouting. I mean, honestly, give self-credit for if you're doing that, usually doing something active. So there, there are a number of ways that people really connect those dots to say this activity has movement or exercise, physical activity as part of it, then that's two reasons why I'd sign up for that. Yeah. So important. Yeah. To think when you're, especially when you're also limited with time, when you're trying to decide what things to choose. Oh, a twofer is always important as a mom. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Efficiency. Yes. 100%. So, you know, here at Boston Children's, we take care of so many kids who have medical complexity. And as a neonatologist, I have a lot of patients that I send home who have medical complexity. My own kids have medical complexity. I have medical complexity. I'm curious for those who have either a chronic medical condition or have some type of medical complexity, how do we encourage exercise for them? Do they need to meet the same standards or goals? How can we be creative? My daughter, who is a little person like myself and much more physically capable than I am, to be honest, but she also has a diagnosis of ADHD. And part of the recommendations to help her manage her attention deficit is to exercise more and get active more. So I just wanted to talk a little bit about that patient population. Absolutely. How much time, <laughs> how much time we got? Okay, um, we got yeah. all the time in the world. <laughs> um, So earlier you asked, what are the risks if you don't exercise? And I think one of the questions that I ask all the time is who may not have access to exercise, who may not have the same resources. And that's not just, as we say, social determinants of health. Do they have safe spaces and safe homes and food and really important things? But this medically complex group, they think people have this misconception that because you have diagnoses or you may have something that's either visible by your size or visible by a scar or not so visible, say like Mm -hmm. diabetes, that that's a group that should be thought of differently and pushed aside. And I think that's exactly the wrong message. My whole goal is to say, if anything, they need it more. Yes. Thank you. (laughs) You're welcome. Yes. (laughs) Um, There's my soapbox. The key is to modify. Everybody can do something. Everybody can. Yeah. It's just trying to find their own possible, their own best self. Where are they? Meet them there. And then how can they do as much as within their realm? And actually, oftentimes, they surprise you at how much they actually can do. There are some very famous paradigms that show that off, say the Paralympics. So that's an example of people who may have a particular challenge or disability in one way and an absolutely elite level talent in another. So true. 
there's also things like the Special Olympics, which is a different kind of population that showcases, again, how people can be brought together and perform at high levels. I mean, that goes all the way to the International Special Olympics. Those are some real competitors. Absolutely. And then there's also things that have trickled into the community, things like unified sports, where you have students who are more traditionally developing and students who may not have the same development, and they're paired together to, say, play soccer or basketball, which is wonderful for both sets. I love that, too. Yeah. So there are some people who are trying to enable the ability, but still, so many of them are sitting on the sidelines, and that absolutely breaks my heart. Yeah. So I think they're missing out on all those benefits. A hundred percent. And it's not just the physical, too, right? Then it's the social, and it's learning how to engage in that activity with peers. Absolutely. And so the key is to say, how do we rethink that paradigm? How do we, within the medical system, help set that safety level? Because clearly safety is paramount. It should be something that is truly enjoyable, and everybody should get those benefits. It's also okay, I think, for children with different levels of medical complexity to feel competitive if they want to. There's nothing wrong with a little juices flowing. But also to just have pure on enjoyment if they don't have a competitive bone in their body, but they just love the spirit of togetherness. It's beautiful. Yes, Um, very So, yes, you watch the Special Olympics and some of the basketball players will help the other team to score their basket. It's just beautiful. Um, (laughs) The idea is to set that safety level and then find ways to say this is important because if they are excluded either because the health system didn't set them up for success and help to know what are those boundaries and then don't help enable schools, communities, families to say this is something that we can do. Everybody can do something. Yes. It's not about what you can't. No. It's all about what you can do. Well, and I think you just brought something home to me. As medical professionals, we have to be able to help parents figure that out and encourage that because I can tell you, I was the kid who did not go to PE and I missed out on a lot. And now with my kids, we went to see our orthopedic surgeon here at Boston Children's and Will, my son, wants to play football. Okay, football may not be the best thing. That might be his limitation, right? But she said, there's so many other things you could do. And she suggested lacrosse. And I got nervous about that. And she was like, no, no, he can do lacrosse. Will was so excited. He now plays lacrosse. He loves it. And I can tell you from the mom perspective, he made a goal, his first goal. You know, we had a conversation with the coach. They were very supportive, inclusive. He got to play with everybody else. And he made that first goal. And do you know what happened? The kid from the opponent's team gave him a high five. I was like, okay, this is what it's all about. That is exactly what it's all about. He's getting the benefits physically and he's getting the socialization and he's gaining confidence. And that to me is critical because a lot of children with medical complexity, sometimes the diagnosis kind of rises to the top as opposed to I have a diagnosis and oh, by the way, I'm a child too. And by then recognizing that there are things that you can wear proudly and that you can succeed and it's something that is that obvious. There was no goal, now there is a goal. There was no high five, now there is a high five. Yeah. That is to me what it's all about. It was a beautiful story. Yeah. So Thanks. exciting. Yeah, I know. I get so excited about this. Yeah, okay. Exactly. I think your example reminded me of one of the most fascinating examples of why physical activity is so important. There's a school on the Chicago suburbs that had kids who weren't succeeding very well, and they found it was because they needed some help with their reading. So they had to give them additional help with literacy, so they had this literacy class. But in order to do that, they had to give up something, and what they took away was gym. But in Illinois, gym class at the time was mandatory. 
So they asked their gym teacher, could you do this before school at 7 a.m.? So he started what they called zero-hour PE. This gym teacher thought, we're on to something. I think that I can make my students smarter by exercising them. So they did the zero-hour PE, but he said, I will do it on one condition. You have to do the literacy class directly after gym. I want to prime them and then do the literacy class. There were certain students who couldn't do that. So they compared at the end of the year the students who couldn't do the early morning and did the literacy class several hours later versus the ones who took it right in the morning. The ones who took it right in the morning directly after almost doubled their improvements. So then they did another experiment where they did the same thing, like maybe it's the afternoon, you're tired or whatever. So then they did two PE classes again when it was paired directly. You move around, get that blood flowing, get yourself juiced, and then you set your brain to learning. By the end, they both equally improved tremendously. And that changed the entire school. They now have this whole different way of approaching all of school. And that school went from middle-range schools to the top-performing school. They took this international exam, and that school performed number one in science and number six in math in the world. Whoa, whoa. The only thing they changed was this commitment to everybody moving and tying that with their learning. So it's like a recipe. You can enhance your learning if you're physically active before. We all need to be working on that and thinking about how we approach our learning. Yeah, the gym teacher said, I got their brains primed and ready and the teachers filled them. Wow. That's and incredible. And so to me, that's a good example. So if you are not participating and then these children have medically complex issues, they already have enough other challenges. Yes. Why are we giving them less Keeping of a them leg up? Back. Right, yeah, exactly. exactly. And that's not even talking about all of the beautiful health benefits of exercise for the here and now, let yeah. alone for lifelong. Now, as a cardiologist, my particular health population or my particular medical population tends to be the ones that we do have some concern about, is it safe and is it healthy? So we have ways of looking at that and devising that. And it's always about what can you do. If there's limitations, you modify. That's right. If there's areas that might not be so safe, you stay within the guardrails. Doesn't mean you don't do it. Exactly. What I'm hearing is exercise is always possible, regardless of the condition. You just may have to do it a little different. Exactly. Or modify it. Exactly. I'm sure in your home, oh, yeah. you can't reach things high. You yeah. modify, right? You, yep. It's not that you can't have no. your life. Just do you it just differently. Different. Yeah, that's good advice for all of us and everything. Absolutely. And why should exercise be any different? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> we all should enjoy those benefits. That's, I, uh, I really believe that strongly. That's really great. All right. So I want to take us now to the cardiac fitness program. Tell us a little bit about this program specifically. Sure. Our cardiac fitness program is a three-month medically supervised fitness program. It's built off of a cardiac rehab program like adults do, but our population are not like adults who've had, say, a heart attack or something like that that they're trying to recover from. Our patients are born with what they're born with. So they need to be given an opportunity to show how they can flourish. And that's why we call it the fitness program, and it's fitness both in body and in mind. So we believe in what we call the four pillars of fitness. And again, we modify. They can have artificial pacemakers. They've had lots of open-heart surgeries. They may have all sorts of challenges. doesn't mean they can't get that heart pumping. We don't take them to the <laughs> operating room so that we can say, yeah. look what we did, we, so that they can then go out and use what they've got. They need to be able to yes. use it. So yes. aerobic strength, that's important for all, muscle and bone strengthening, flexibility for a whole host of reasons, and then a positive mindset. So those four pillars are what we train specifically. We don't expect the biceps to get stronger unless we teach somebody how to use their biceps. Yep. They don't expect the positive mindset to develop unless we help people. So we take them through a three-month program. We have very talented, highly skilled 
exercise physiologists who are trained in congenital heart disease and in our heart center patient population. So they know how to understand the safety levels. And then they can teach the patient and the family safe exercise practices that are also effective. Because if you hold back too much, then you are missing out on many benefits. So where is that line? How do we know? We teach them that over three months with the idea that they then develop independent habits that they can go carry for a lifetime. That's incredible. I mean, it's just so important. And you've been able to find with this population of kids who maybe others would have been afraid to allow them to exercise or to encourage that. Absolutely. I shouldn't say allow, right? Encourage. (laughs) (laughs) I'm learning. Change the way we think about it. And that's just so critical to keeping them healthy. Absolutely. And and for themselves to think exactly for themselves. I mean, as a parent, your job is to protect from the beginning. And if you have a little baby, especially a baby who's born with a heart condition, but it can be any medical complexity or any child, really. And you are there to make sure that they stay safe, but also grow and develop. That's a hard enough job when you don't have medical complexity and then certainly for my population when you have a heart kid, how do you know how to do that? So our job is to both keep them safe but also to help encourage their full potential. As a matter of fact, our motto is find your possible. Um, And that's what we believe in is that sometimes we are blown away yeah, at what these possible. kids can do. Yeah, and actually, it's, it's not just kids; it's adults too. Our heart center patients actually span all ages, so it's not just kids, but it's the adults who've grown up with their heart condition as well. I wonder if it's worthwhile for our audience to explain sort of what are the types of patients that you have in our heart program, and what is a congenital heart condition? Oh, sure, yeah. So a congenital heart condition is a structural issue where the heart did not form correctly, or how well it functions or in some cases how well the wiring, the conduction system, the electrical part of the heart, how that formed, or genetic conditions that can be related to those. And every once in a while it can be something that was acquired, so an unfortunate illness or a side effect that somehow affected their hearts at a very young age. But much more it's within the congenital heart condition category, which being born with something about your heart that is different is actually the number one birth defect. It's actually about one in a hundred babies. It's way more common than most things that we see. Yeah, I don't think many realize that, just how common it is. Likely, all of us have had someone in our family or close friend circle that has had a child with a... If you think about how many kids are in your, your kid's grade, and one in a hundred is going to have something. And you say, well, how many kids? If there's 300 kids in your great kid's grade, it's probably going to be at least three of them with us. Wow. So along those lines, you started the program here for cardiac fitness. Why did you create it? And are there other programs like this? I created it because I wanted to show patients, their families, and the world what they can do and not focus on what they can't do. It's not so much about whether I want them to have a particular level of fitness or that I want to meet, say, a a 60-minute-a-day guideline. All of those things are, of course, important and helpful. But if I had to boil it down, I want them to feel empowered. And when they feel that within themselves, like, I didn't do that setup, you did. And they, oh, it's like that goal. It's like, oh, I, I did. I just did that. You yep. can't take that away. And no. they are forever yeah. changed. And that's what we see. They are literally transformed. Even some of our patients who have the most challenges, the most delays, the most issues with heart or lungs or bony structure or whatever it is, watching them just emerge gets me out of bed every single morning. And so the initial foray into this came from looking at patients in the eye and realizing when they said, well, what can I do? 
I needed something tangible. I actually started an overnight camp for kids with heart conditions many years ago, and some of the lessons learned from that I put into this program. And then nothing is ever built just by a single person. So yeah. I give credit to my team. Tracy Curran is our lead exercise physiologist, and she has been my right hand. She is a PhD in exercise physiology, and at least 20, probably <laughs> more, years here gaining experience specifically in exercise physical activity in, the, in congenital heart patients. The two of us together have pushed this forward, and then we have a whole team of talented exercise physiologists and other physicians. So it is a lot of really amazing, talented, passionate experts. That's really great. So I, of course, have to ask, because we love to hear success stories, and I can only imagine with this being a relatively innovative novel field and having our own dedicated program, can you share a success story? Absolutely. There literally are so many stories of transformation. There was actually just a new one literally just yesterday. One of our patients who was socially challenged as well as medically challenged, never done any exercise and was a little anti-exercise. And partway through the program, went to do some exercise and realized I would never have tried that before. And then said, I'm going to try and see if I can do this. Did it successfully. And then broke down crying saying, I just did something that I never thought was possible. This is just a small example. We have a boy who came from another country, multiple heart-related issues, quite frail, fragile, was blue, and really did have very true limitations to exercise. But the Heart Center team did an amazing job with some heart surgeries and a lot of good work medically, so was able to make some gains, but still has you know, significant limitations. And he was able to exercise in a way that he had never done before. And in the end, we were actually doing a little video with him and I said, hey, you're a video star. And he turned and he looked and he said, no, I'm a fitness star. Oh my gosh, that's the best. (laughs) He is absolutely amazing. That is awesome. So I imagine for your population, you're seeing probably the most challenging kids in terms of feeling like it's safe, but you're seeing the possible, you're making it happen for them in a safe way. And that's so important. We have some kids born with half a heart. They've had heart surgeries go around. And you watch them, and you're like, oh my gosh, what that kid's doing with half a heart? Like, what am I doing? Like, I to, I, I, that's so inspiring. That's right. You, you know? can learn yes. from each other. And yes. And so you get motivated. You're inspiring me. Well, okay. So this has been really great. I wanted to switch gears just a smidge and talk about research. What are some of the things happening from a research perspective? What's on the horizon for fitness in kids? So much. It's actually exploding. I think the understanding of what exercise does for the body, the brain, the bones, the mood, attention are actively being researched in so many different ways. And that's going to be a whole other podcast because otherwise I'll talk to your ear <laughs> for the next two hours. There's so many things to be learned. We've had a few that have gotten published recently saying take this group who are supposedly the ones that are quote highest risk because of their heart condition and being able to graph and show their physical progress, their heart progress, and their empowerment has been really gratifying. Well, and so important, right? Because if you imagine for children that are seeking advice from their physician, if the parents are nervous, if you have the evidence that says yes, that makes everyone feel comfortable recommending it. Absolutely, and it's scientifically sound, and it's based on the right principles. So critical. Um, And so I think just starting from the basics, is it safe? So that was one of our first questions, and we looked at that, and absolutely safe, especially knowing that it's safe and we're pushing people. So it's not just safe because we are bubble wrapping people, (laughs) but it's safe and 
it's effective. Yeah. So that was the second question. Can we make people more fit in all of the four ways that we want them to be more fit? And the answer to that has been yes. That's great. And then the next level is how do we improve our efficiency and how do we empower the parents? How do we create a program that gives them more tools and not just the participant? And how might that impact what their medical testing looks like? How might that impact how well their checkups go? So we created a global society of interested professionals. We have a group that meets quarterly that all work together and figure out collaboratively what is the science behind that? What are the gaps in our knowledge? And how do we start answering those? Because now we all believe it is possible. So let's start to research it from the bottom up. And once you get that research, we got to get it out there because that way parents like myself or clinicians like myself don't hesitate to give that guidance and prescribe. This is okay. You can do this as opposed to, I don't know, maybe you should do that because you're just afraid of hurting. You don't want to harm first. You don't want to harm first. But seeing what is possible and getting those examples, it's like any hero or any mentor when you realize, wow, that's possible too. I mean, you're an example of that, right? What's possible? You're a beautiful example of that, right? (laughs) And that's why it is just so important to approach it from a rigorous scientific standpoint, do the research, get the data, and then show people. And actually, I have to say a little word of gratitude myself, because in a way, this podcast is allowing me an opportunity to do that and showcase what I think these kids can show to the world. Well, that's why I love this podcast, (laughs) because we get to raise awareness for all these really important things and help to open up everyone's eyes for what's possible. I appreciate that. So as we wrap up here, I always like to end with one question for all of our guests, because I love raising awareness for all these topics because they're all so important for keeping our kids healthy. Is there anything that we haven't covered that you think our audience needs to know? You know, in truth, I don't think so because you help to lead the conversation toward that central message of exercise is important for all of us and the benefits are here for now and for later. So I think that message came through and I, again, I'm so grateful for the opportunity to be able to share that. Oh, well, I am grateful as well. And thank you so much for spending time with us, for sharing all of your knowledge and expertise and helping to inspire us to help our kids to be healthier. So that brings us to one of my favorite parts of the show where we actually do what's called doctor's orders. And this is an opportunity where you as our expert can prescribe an action that our parents can use to help them raise their kids in a healthier way. So Dr. Gauthier, if you could share with us your doctor's orders on this topic. Absolutely. Well, I'm all about action. So I love the fact that this is an opportunity to provide an action. And if I could prescribe one first step, it is that awareness. Are we engaging in it? Are we getting the benefits? And then how can we, in a fun and truly joyful way, find ways to be active? I think that is a huge win. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing. Thanks everyone for listening. And a special thank you to our guest parent, Sandy, and our guest expert, Dr. Naomi Gauthier. If you want to hear more, subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts to stay up to date on the latest episodes. Want to learn more? Check us out at bostonchildrens.org or find us at Boston Children's Hospital's social media pages. Well, that's a wrap. Thank you everyone for listening in and see you next month.